Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. So you sent me that article from New York Times, and that was about the rise of the work, the worker productivity score. And I, I just couldn't believe reading this, to be quite honest. And I've heard horror stories like this before. Um, I had a friend, she worked for a law firm, and she had to get permission to leave her desk to go to the toilet and permission to go get coffee and permission to go, have a, if she smoked, to get a cigarette. And, you know, lunch was tracked down to the you know, 30 minutes and you must be back in 30 minutes. And she said it was terrible. She she had no motivation to do the work because it was like this micromanagement hell. And I mean, reading this article and even the caregivers are given points. So the priests going to talk to a, a patient, you know, half a point and a point and, and all this stuff. And I mean, obviously, you know, our experience working in, with technology in this space is we know you can monitor these things and, and you can monitor to some extent, but it should never be driven to, to micromanage people. It should be making the friction less, giving them the best tools to do their job better. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts were. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of thoughts. And um, first of all, I, I do recommend anyone uh, go actually read and check out the New York Times article. They did a cool thing where they basically did a simulation of time tracking software. So as you scroll through the article, it is monitoring you and then you get kind of your uh, assessment at the end. I, I, I was poor, by the way, on that. You were poor. <laughs> well, you couldn't, I, like, I, I gave I kept my finger on so it wouldn't put me idle. <laughs> well, well I, yeah, because I, I read a bit of it, then I, then I saw something else and I read that. And then I, we came back to the article. I think that's what marked me as poor because it does do that. Uh, there we go. Now, now I'm. I got an acceptable. It. So I scrolled through really quickly, and 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 I'm also still poor. And your manager will be in touch. And and I mean, some of the stuff. I mean, for both some of the things in the thing, and 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 I've seen this with with Upwork and Fiverr, and that where if you're doing an agreed service offering, you know. So so I had, I had a guy do some research for me ages ago and we, and and one of those things and this came out of tim ferris's for our work week book is if you're going to use a virtual assistant you've got to be very specific on boundaries like you give them the, the amount of time they can spend on something and what you're looking to get out and, and all that kind of stuff so he did this research for me i said look only spend five hours on it and while he was doing the work i think this was through upwork there's an application on the desktop and that's taking screenshots of what he's working on and then when you when the time is done and you get the report and I went to the screenshots, I noticed two screens that weren't related to the work I asked him to do. And I queried him on that. And he goes, yeah, well, I, I just had to look at something and look back. I was still doing your work. And I kind of let him go on it because, you know, in the end, his output was pretty good. But imagine every day, all the work you're doing is being screenshotted. And they're taking pictures of your face while you're sitting at your screen watching you. Um, it's just mind-boggling. Why would you want to do that? Why yeah, would you I want think, to subscribe to that? Yeah, I think the... Um particularly in the home, right? Having the photos of you feels 
incredibly invasive of you and your space, right? And a lot of people don't necessarily have dedicated office space or, you know, what if, yeah, you don't want a a picture to be taken of your surroundings, um, but you wouldn't have a choice there. I'm curious, do you feel like that added value to the service, like particularly in that, um, you know, outsourced work example, did that add like an assurance to you for the service? Do you feel like it added something valuable or if you hadn't seen those screenshots and you got the output you were pretty happy with anyway, would it have mattered? I think it matters a lot because you don't know the person at all. There's no reference point. You don't have that trust. Yeah, have, no uh, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there, there are a lot of there are reviews and and um, you know, I've looked for a few people over the years to do stuff for me, and and you spend a lot of time reading the reviews and and seeing their rating, you know, four five, four stars, five stars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But even that, you know, some so much of that is subjective, and so much of that can be faked. So even if someone's got a five star. And I think Upwork does it as, as, as the main one. They tell you how much revenue this person has generated through Fiverr or Upwork. So, so even though they've made a lot of money, which means they obviously have repeat customers, um, you still don't, you still don't know what you're getting. So, so to have that screenshotting at least the first couple times that you work with that person, I think that helps you to build trust. And in some ways, it's maybe better to start the relationship that way because. If you know someone, you know someone, and then you use that person, and, that, and then that was a personal recommendation, that can sometimes be more damaging if it doesn't work out, because that personal that person recommended them feels uh, slighted as well if the person they recommended didn't do the job properly. If you know what I mean. Whereas this sort of objective review kind of makes sense because you are paying someone you don't know to do work, and you're trusting them to do it, and you can actually you know trust and verify. But if you're hiring staff in a business, you know, you're paying them a, a salary or you're paying a contractor and that, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, who's going to go and look at all that stuff? Um, firstly, you know, if you've got, if you've got a hundred people to go look at, even five people to go look at is a lot of work. Uh, and the only time you're really going to care about is if they're not delivering the results you ask them, to, you know, and in that case, you don't need screenshots of, of their, their screens or, or faces on the camera. You just set them a task and, and you just monitor the delivery of that task and that'll tell you pretty clearly if they can deliver or not. Uh, it doesn't have to be that sophisticated. But the other thing that that I found fascinating is that is they were taking money away from people based on this. You know, if you weren't at your desktop working, you know, clicking in your screen, people were losing money. And I, and I was thinking, how much time do I spend where I'm not actually my screen? I go sit in the dining room and I take my, my moleskin or my other iPad and I go and draw things, write things down, think about stuff that's considered offline because I've got no monitoring tools on it. So that might be costing me money uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to talk about the limitations of these tools. And you're right, we do have some additional insight here. But one thing they brought up in the article that I thought was interesting and is you know, particularly relevant uh, given the space that you and I have worked in is that so there are tools, right, that are dedicated to this purpose. They track keystrokes. They take pictures of you. They take pictures of what's happening on your screen. Those are like explicit, meant to be quantifying that you are busy digitally, right? And those are the things that in the case of um, someone like the caseworkers, right, actually having a conversation, 
in person and then not getting the digital activity that would not be quantifying them. So then they'd have to go and try to make some case to get paid for those hours, which is terrible. But then there are another set of tools that aren't explicitly meant for this kind of productivity tracking, but can kind of be abused or used in that way by, you know, managers or organizations who see fit to do so. So, you know, in the case of like digital experience management tools, the intent when it comes to looking at drops in productivity is to say, how is how are IT issues impacting the user experience and therefore decreasing productivity? I had a colleague the other day talking about how he was doing some interviews and his laptop wasn't performing and the um, you know video conferencing cut out during an interview, which is of course not a great look for the candidate. You know what's happening where the IT performance is that bad, and it's obviously really disruptive to the interview process. So things like that do have a legitimate business impact and are things that you know are good for IT to be able to flag and improve when they're happening on mass, right? That can cause huge drains on the business. But that's not the same thing as tracking keystrokes on someone's computer or even act- active status on like you know, watching someone's active status on Microsoft Teams, for example. So I guess there's just these, there's a lot of tools now in this realm where if someone wants to look at them and make, try to make inferences about productivity, even something as simple as the collaboration app active status, right? Someone could do that. Someone could be watching, um, but they're not explicitly meant for that purpose. Yeah, and, 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 I mean, there's probably two points on that. One, one is is, and and this is you know, for years I've I've looked at the stuff with various companies I've worked in or worked consulted to. People will find a way to, if they know this is, if they know that something is being tracked or monitored, whatever, they'll find a way to 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 mix 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 it up or mess it up, you know. And there's there's TikTok videos all about how to like get the mouse jiggle going. Um, or to configure Teams or Zoom to show that you're always online, regardless if you're there or not. Uh, you can disable these things, um, and it, it's just the wrong. It's the wrong message. And and the other thing which which comes to mind on this is if you are monitoring people like this, and they are trying to avoid being monitored, they don't spend any time doing any work. So, how much are you actually benefiting by doing all this stuff? Now, that's not to say. That there's, there isn't a case, and this is where we have used it successfully, and and um, and I'll talk about some of the, doc, the the black ops stuff we kind of did in other places. But if you've got a bunch, I think we talked about the use, use case before. If you've got a bunch of developers who should be in in all rights writing code all day long, or building whatever they're building, and they'll have tools that they use for that. If they're spending a lot of time not using those tools, so they're spending a lot of time in Outlook a lot of time in I don't know whatever it is you might you may have a problem there that you need to go to look at and that's a how do we make our people more effective at what they do question uh, and we've had it where you know you've got developers that are spending 50% of their time in Outlook because they're sending emails they're long because the project manager that they've got or delivery person or scrum master whoever they're working with is 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 not creating the right environment for the, for the developers to do development work and what's happening is developers are spending more time 
trying to communicate with end users or whatever it is to solve their problems because they're not getting the support they need. And that's and that's a, a process problem you need to fix. And that makes sense. Then you want to know, you want to look at these sort of things. When we did this with with some of the more stringent countries around privacy, you know, Germany, France, etc., you know, the workers' councils actually made it clear that no manager should be able to, of, of any people should be able to see this information at a person-to-person level. It has to be anonymized. And that makes sense because you want to look at cohorts. You want to look at, at all your developers or all your financial traders or wh- whatever the persona is that you're looking at because that will tell you on averages what is going on. And, and then you're looking you know, back to your point around the right tools and, and the friction. Is there problems with the platform you're providing to your developers? You know, are the machines too slow? Are they not coping with the build time? Um, why are there big gaps in in data being collected on those machines? You know, and that could point to all sorts of, of other issues. Uh, and this is all about making the people more effective. And and you're trying to build trust, not erode it. And I think that's the other thing. Um, now, the one thing that I do like that's come up is is the daily email from Microsoft. If you're not on an M365 account, you get the daily email of you spend way too much time in meetings. Um, you had all these t- these things in your email that, that could be tasks. Are they done? Like the follow-ups. I think that's a useful thing. Now, that is a bit invasive in the sense that they're reading your emails in order to generate that content. But in that respect, I almost don't care because if it's in if it's going through that that channel, that's co- that's corporate email, and you know there's contracts and, and and privacy and all that stuff built into those contracts because I don't own the email content per se, um, the company does. Uh, so I think that's a useful productivity thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are my thoughts on, on that stuff. It's it's interesting that you bring up Viva because I have similar feelings, right? There's a level of kind of workforce productivity insight, particularly when it is anonymized or data that's not shared with managers that can be helpful to get insights into your own workflow, right? Like who wouldn't want to know? It's just like on your phone, right? You can see what apps do I spend the most time with? Where am I wasting my time? And that kind Mm. of insight can be really valuable. Or even, you know, to make a case to your manager, like, hey, I'm spending way too much time in meetings. Um, Of course, you could go through and count that yourself. But having that quantified for you, helps you realize those things as well. So that has value to it. But thinking back to Microsoft, do you remember the uproar around the productivity score that they put out that they had to then remove from, I think it was endpoint analytics was maybe where it surfaced, but. I don't remember that one. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to fill the blanks. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it was kind of similar to a digital experience score, but they labeled it productivity score and I, I believe it was anonymized, but even just the notion of having a productivity score in, you know, the office suite got so much backlash, yeah. they ended up removing it from the product. So, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of sensitivity around this kind of tracking as, as there should be really, because it can be abused. So I think there's, you know, there's sort of that balance of, insights into workforce productivity or digital friction, digital experience issues to remove blockers, to make things better, to improve the overall employee experience. 
And then there's sort of the nanny state of it so over rotates on trying to trying to watch what people do that it ends up measuring the wrong things. And like you're saying, there's, you know, people looking for all sorts of workarounds, but I do think it's that kind of that then I wonder how much of the kind of rise of these tools, particularly around remote work, like some of those narratives that people might joke about or put out there kind of roll up to executives and they think it's like this systemic problem where people just aren't working and they need to crack down on it if they're going to continue to let people work remotely. It's kind of like I could see that even though people are are joking about it's like where's the it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. It's like companies are being are cracking down so people are finding ways around it and the people are seeing that they're finding ways around it so they find more ways to crack down. Yeah, well, that, I mean, it's it's the endless cycle, and and, and this is this is what I find so mind-boggling about it because the and 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 personal BI, there's nothing wrong with personal BI um, if you do it in the right in the right ways. So, what I mean by personal BI, we we did a solution many years ago for a it was a scanning thing where they were they were basically scanning old files because it was, it was, they were digitizing, so going away from paper-based to to digital, and they had like it's called a 10 people doing the scanning and when they brought in our system which was to do to make the scanning smarter and speed it up um part of that was to bring in some gamification and what happened is out of the you know each person in the process could see how they were doing versus the other other person and there was a there was a sort of how was Heather doing versus versus bob or versus john whatever it was and you could see that you have now done five payloads more than, than John. So you're like two and then uh, out of out of the, the whole 10. And then at the end of the, they incentivize those people. So who was at the top of each, at the, each of each week, um, at the end of a quarter, the one with the most tops would win a prize. And at the, at the end of the year, they would be, win a bigger prize. And I mean, they paid, I think if I remember the story correctly, uh, they lost about five people. Five people just weren't prepared to do it that gamification way. Um, but they actually were faster with the five they had left because they bought into it and they were more incentive. They, they just, they found the systems work better for them, et cetera, et cetera. So they actually sped, sped up with less people and the savings they made by doing it this way. Uh, and this obviously, you know, includes the, the software and all the rest of it. Um, they sent the winner away on all expenses vacation for two weeks with their family. Um, and I think that cost like 10 grand, you know, $10,000. Um, but that was because they used the right kind of personal BI, the right kind of data to incentivize, and it wasn't necessarily invasive. It was part of their job to be monitored, so it was fine. But it was never used to say, well, if you're not going to do you know, your five a day, we're going to fire you. It was a case of, well, if you don't do your five a day and Heather does her six a day, she's ahead of you and she can get you know, the incentive, um, which I think is the right thing. And, and that comes back to a results-orientated approach. And, and that's actually what I would probably argue the biggest issue here is not about monitoring the people to see if they're productive. It's if you if you worry about people not doing the right things, then as a manager or a leader, you need to make sure you've given them the right goals to to to, to go for. And I mean, I, I'm very fond of the OKR process. You, know, you have your objectives, you have your key your key results, your key measures, and people know that those are our goals, and that's what that's what we're measuring against. And once they have those things, they know where to focus their work, how they actually do their work to achieve that. Don't care. I really don't care. Like, you know, we need to achieve that goal by the end of the month. 
you're the, you're the expert. That's why we hired you. Uh, or you're the person who's going to become the expert because that's why we hired you. You tell us how we're going to do it. And and then your job as a manager or leader is to is to talk to them, coach them, bounce the ideas with them, you know, get the team to be cohesive in order to achieve that goal. So I do think there's a level of making sure that people are available to each other. But I think it's a combination of synchronous and asynchronous work. Mm-hmm. Um, and managing and if you've got time zones, you know, it's finding those overlapping time zones and making sure those meetings are happening and making sure those, that talking is happening because that's the hardest thing about remote work is people aren't talking to each other like they should be uh, or like they would be in an office. So you have to make sure that there is a daily call, a weekly status check. You know, those things have to just happen naturally. So they know that every week at the latest, they have to say what they've done this last week. You can't leave them completely unmanaged un, 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 um, in that respect. But that's definitely not a, that's definitely not watching them like a hawk. Yeah, it's being away. It's good. It's basic good management practices. But I think there is some either I don't know if it's laziness on that part or just thought that you know we need to like that it it, it comes back to a certain number of hours worked, and if it's not work during those hours, then we're not doing the value we paid for as a company. But yeah, I think you're right that the it's it's focusing on the wrong thing. And I also agree when it comes to I think gamification can be powerful, but the the way to do it is to have positive incentives, you know, sort of that employee of the month type model where people can, you know, battle it out for rewards instead of fear of losing their job. And one of the other parts of this article that I found so fascinating was just what careers this tracking has made its way into. Like I would not think Mm. about productivity tracking in terms of hospice or chaplains, right? Like people who you, it's just, it's, 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 it's gross because it just loses all the humanity. You know, it's asking people to leave the humanity out of really heartbreaking human professions and, how like how do how it's it's yeah I don't even know well, quite what to say about that. No, I mean we we've seen it. I mean I'll give you another example, and and we've seen it here coming back from South Africa. So if I if we have a medical situation in South Africa, and yes, you're paying for private medical, so you get a different level of service. If I want to see my doctor, you know my GP, um, and I'm sick, I phone in the morning. I phone anytime, you know, in, in operating in working hours. I speak to the receptionist and she says, okay, come in at three o'clock or come in at two o'clock, come in tomorrow. And if I spend 10 minutes with that doctor, and, and look, I'll get there and I might, I, might, I might wait an hour to see the doctor, okay? But if I go and see that doctor, he'll take as long as he needs to take to decide whether what kind of treatment I need. So it could be a five-minute check, could be a 10-minute check, could be an hour, if that's what it is. And, and, and that's why you can, be, you can be stuck waiting for a period of time. And... Most GPs are, are are in that in that sense non-regulated. So so there's no governing body that says you need to do ten patients a day or anything like that. The comparative I have is is the NHS in the UK. If I want to go and see a doctor right now, I have to phone. I might get an appointment on the in the morning. If I phone in the morning, I might get a cancellation to go and see a doctor. Otherwise, I'm booking six to eight weeks in advance to go and see this doctor. And that's because the GPs are so saturated 
where they get like 12 minutes to see a patient and they are and they are booked up solid to do 12 minutes to see as many patients as they can in that period of time which means in my opinion and i'm not a doctor that their their attention to the and the kind of questions they'll ask you as a doctor is is the most common ones to 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 basically get you out the door they're not they're not investigating the issue they are just saying okay check your heart rate check your respiratory check your blood pressure um check your pain okay well we've covered the basic things that's the 10 minutes done um take two paracetamol call me in the morning now if you need blood tests or that kind of stuff you go down this thing and and i think that's that's where the one of the situations where, where the, the kpis are wrong in the sense of how you how you are and, and the behaviors they generated are wrong because now you're down you're down this route of um trying to cycle people in and out as fast as possible now if you took the view of and in the same situation and, and this is where i think the the second example is better um the medical aids give you as the as the customer incentives to be healthier because they don't want you to go see the gp so they want you to walk your 10,000 steps a day they want you to eat healthy so they incentivize you to buy that buy healthy food um they incentivize you to take breaks so they incentivize your movie tickets your your, your holidays you know you get like 25 percent, 30 percent discount on your plane tickets your accommodation so they are they are they're incentivizing you as the end user to be a healthier person, which means you spend less time going to the doctor. And then if you go to the doctor, the doctor has no constraint to how long they need to take with you. The, the only constraint is get authorization for the tests we need to do if they're going to be expensive. That's it, which is a yeah, that, that makes sense because now you're in the insurance game. The incentive in the NHS is to not spend any money on the patient. So there's no proactive. And, and and the first example is proactiveness. The second example is reactive. If I if I only spend twelve minutes with you, I am waiting to see how bad it gets before I actually deal with your problem. So if we just did the blood test in the first example straight away with like we do in South Africa, in the UK we'll wait until you get really really sick and then we'll try to treat you. And then by then the treatment is exponentially more expensive because we didn't we didn't take it seriously in the beginning. We we thought we'd get away with it. And it just mm -hmm. creates it creates a bigger problem. That's why the NHS is folding right now. It's, it's falling apart because now it's running out of people, and this backlog of people with with which were minor issues in the beginning have become major issues um, because they didn't deal with them at the beginning. And I think this is where where, where the way we measure things and, and promote things needs to be flipped on its head to to create the right behaviour. And then you look at smoking. You know, my, you know, my dad's got lung cancer. Most lung cancers are caused by smoking. My dad smoked a pipe. If a doctor told him 30 years ago, 40 years ago, listen, this is going to give you cancer. Because the data's there. It's not like it's, it's, not like it's new information. Um, he might have stopped. Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't have got lung cancer. But, you know, here, it's still the case of, well, they'll tell you, you really shouldn't smoke and you really shouldn't think. But there's no incentive to stop. The only incentives that make the cigarettes more expensive. But if you're addicted, you know, look at any addiction. You'll you'll find the money. You'll find the you'll find the way to get to get to the, the addiction. Anyway, we're going a little bit off topic, but that that's just like my point around, you know, how the wrong measurements create the wrong behaviors. Yeah. No, definitely. I think um, this is a topic that we could probably talk about for at least an hour. <laughs> but unfortunately, I do need to run. But maybe we revisit it. I yeah, think. 
this is something we have a lot of uh, background in, so it's fascinating. Yeah, well, this is this is what my my book that I'm working on is, is covering in some respects, um, which I need to speaking of which I need to get back onto the writing now that I've got some time. But we're going to talk about it in the future too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Thanks for that. We'll right, soon. Take care. See you, Ryan. You too. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.